Well, it's a, a privilege for us all to be here tonight seeking to worship God and seeking to hear what He has to say to us from His Word. Before we look at some uh, truths from the Scriptures in Colossians, particularly in chapter 4, let's ask God to bless His Word at this point. Let's pray. Lord, we are so dependent upon you. And so we ask that you would, as we have sung together, speak to us. And may the Holy Spirit open our hearts that both speaker and hearers may be influenced in such a way as that we may know God and hear him speaking to us. No matter how young or how old we may be, we thank you, Lord, that you are able to make yourself heard by us. So open our hearts and speak to us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'd like us to, uh, in a sense, return to Colossians because that's where I preached from uh, a few weeks ago before Andy went away on holiday. And at that time, uh, it was, in, in effect, a one-off sermon. But uh, I've been away, as Andy has been away from uh, speaking, so I'm going to continue where I left off, as Andy did this morning, uh, just continuing uh, in Colossians. Now, I'm not going to look at uh, the rest of chapter 3, which is where we left off, but I thought I would come to this, uh, uh, I was talking about bookends a few minutes ago, and this is indeed the end of a book a letter from Paul to uh, a fellowship of believers in a city called Colossae. What I want to do is to finish off, so to speak, uh, by taking one or two themes out of this chapter. Well, it's, it's not usual that we go into uh, ch uh, the last chapter of a book to take something out of it, not having had uh, a sequential series, if you like. Uh, it's like one of these whodunit books, perhaps, and you're going to the back pages to find out what the outcome of the book actually is. But that's not the way it is here, because there are themes that run through the book. Yes, Paul concludes his letter uh, with greetings, and we'll come to that in a short while. Well, you may remember that uh, we looked at chapter 3 uh, recently where Paul is instructing his readers, his hearers, to put off something and to put on something else. That is, to put off a former life that they used to live. And it's summarized in very stark terms, uh, for example, in verse 5 of chapter 3 where Paul says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And in verse 8, he mentions, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth, and so on. And he tells them alternatively, in verse 12 of chapter 3, to put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, 
compassionate hearts, kindness, humility. In other words, the fruit of the Spirit of God at work in their lives. And the metaphor that Paul is using here, as he uses it in his letter to the Ephesians, is a metaphor of clothing. It's as though they've got to disrobe themselves, uh, strip themselves off all that is filthy and dirty and put on clean clothes, put on, if if you like, a new uniform, something that speaks of their function in life now. And of course, that function is servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, it's, it's very interesting uh, how Paul is very graphic in, in his use of these. We can use other metaphors where he speaks of the Christian wearing uh, armor for the Lord, as uh, in Ephesians chapter 6, where it spells out there the various aspects of that armor, uh, perhaps of a Roman soldier, and uh, the various elements of the armor representing something to do with the warfare, the, the armor that the Christian has to bear in his or her spiritual warfare for the Lord. So, we can ask the question, like whom is the Christian saying he or she is influenced by and behaving like? If somebody asks you your question, what is, what is influencing you in your life? What is your motivation? Why are you living? What is the purpose of your life? And surely for the, each Christian, It ought to be something to the uh, effect that my life is not my own. I have been born again, and my life is now living, is being lived, or ought to be lived, for the one whom I profess to be my Savior. And that is the way it was for the Colossians. Whom do I serve? Perhaps Paul was asking them. And also, what are my objection, uh, objectives rather uh, in life as I go through life? Well, this is a very high bar. And this is the bar that uh, God calls us uh, in his service. And that high bar is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Uh, we have it in, in uh, verse 17 of chapter 3, just going back. Uh, to these words, where it's all more or less summarized in verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And having said that this is a high bar, we are very much aware, are we not, that we're not coming up to that mark. And what we ought to be doing is striving by the grace of God, by God's help, to do it. And uh, the the following part of chapter 3, and I'm not going to spend any time on this at all, uh, Paul is telling the the church in Colossae in general what they ought to wear, how their behavior, their outward behavior, particularly amongst themselves and amongst others who are not believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, at this time, in the early New Testament, there was so little uh, 
recognition of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in, in the context of the Colossians, there was false teaching even about the gospel. And this is what Paul was addressing to them, that their focus must be on Christ and the preeminence must be given to the Lord Jesus Christ. We find that in the earlier parts of this letter. And then you have rules for Christian households, where we started a reading earlier on, wives and servants and so on. And uh, there's always a reminder, not just for these specific people who are mentioned, but for us all in general, there are general principles that keep coming through here. Uh, whatever you do, verse 23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. So easy for us to forget that that is uh, the primary purpose of our lives as Christian in the service of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that addresses our tendency to selfishness, to what Paul was calling earlier on, idolatry, self-gratification and all that. And we're so uh, inclined as uh, the society in which we're living nowadays to be all about me, self-centered, all about who I am and my rights and what should be done for me. But that's not what Paul is talking about here at all. What he's talking about is the very opposite of that kind of thinking. And when we come to verse 2 of chapter 4, we find one of these uh, things, one of these themes that seems to come through this uh, letter and through other letters of Paul's as well. It's a, a scriptural principle. And it's the first of the themes that I want to just talk about for a short while, and that is gratitude. My three, my three themes begin with the letter G, and my three, my three themes have the second letter as R. So it's gratitude, graft, secondly, and then we go to come to the greeting part of the chapter, just to take one or two things out of that. So first of all, gratitude. If you look at verse 2 of chapter 4, Paul is exhorting his readers uh, to continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Now, this idea of thanksgiving, as I said, it comes out very often in this uh, letter of Paul to the Colossians. There's a thread of gratitude, I think, that runs through Colossians uh, as it does in other parts of Paul's writings. This thankfulness that sometimes we forget about because whenever we're focused on ourselves, whenever our interest is focused on what I want, then there is very much a question mark about our thankfulness, our gratitude. And of course, thankfulness dovetails into other graces that are spoken about in the Word of God. 
Just look back just for a, a few minutes. You'll see this thread running uh, from chapter 1. It's in chapter 2 and 3 as well, and it's in chapter 4. Uh, chapter 1, we, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. This is Paul in prison, and he always prays with thankfulness for those to whom he is writing. And when we come to chapter 2, we find in verses 6 and 7 uh, similar sentiments. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. It's as though Paul, in these verses 6 and 7 of chapter 2, is asso associating the thanksgiving that abounds to what he is instructing them to do, like walking in the Lord, rooted and built up in him. As Paul wrote to the Philippians, as a priority, he said, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made like him in his death. And then when you come on to verse three, uh, chapter 3, there are verses which speak of gratitude there. Uh, verses 14 onwards. Perhaps we could just look at that briefly. And above all these things, this is Paul having been exhorting them to uh, put on what is the fruit of the Spirit effectively. Above all these things, put on love, which of course is the umbrella grace for all the other graces. Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Be thankful. This word for, that we have for gratitude, being grateful for all that we have, as Paul says elsewhere, to be content with all that we have and to be content with our lot in this world. And our tendency is not to be that way we find very little excuse to complain about something. And I'm using that collective pronoun, we, because I am conscious of that in my life, just as I am sure you are in yours as well. And we find, <coughs> interesting, interestingly, uh, in chapter uh, 3, verses 14 uh, to 17, let the word of, uh, continuing there, be thankful. Let the word of God dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and, <clears throat> excuse me, spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Thankfulness in your hearts, something that is born within us. And it's not of ourselves because by nature we are thankless creatures. We are sinful, we are self-focused, and what we want is more uh, for ourselves without any natural thought for others around us. And what this thankfulness uh, does is, uh, whatever you do, we, we find here in verse 17, uh, with thankfulness in your heart, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father, our outward actions, the outward actions of God's people should show some, should display something of 
thankfulness. And I think that is dovetailed, as I said earlier, on into the grace of humility. But what can be more uncharacteristic of Christian attitude than ingratitude? A thankless Christian is a contradiction of terms, isn't it? It doesn't really follow. And uh, it's very interesting that Jesus uh, told a story, you'll remember, you'll recall it in uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17, about 10 people who suffered from leprosy. They, were, they had a, a grave disease that really left them on the uh, periphery of their society. Nobody wanted to have anything to do with them. Uh, but uh, Jesus, uh, without going into the detail of the story, it's in Luke 17, verses 11 to 19. The ten were healed. They were instructed to go under the Old Testament rules for cleansing to the priest, to get uh, dealt with, treated, and uh, as they went, they were healed. It's amazing. They were obedient at that point to the instruction of the Lord Jesus, but only one came back to the Lord to give thanks. Well, let's not be like one of the other nine because it's a poor witness. And this is what I think Paul is wanting of the Colossians, that this thankfulness is like a, it's like a beam of light that shines out from those who are expressing it and living by it. And uh, it's very interesting how, uh, in Paul's experience, these uh, expressions and exhortations, they tell us something about the man who's written this letter, that Paul himself was a humble servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we were uh, singing earlier on, his heart was filled with thankfulness. His cup was full and running over with gratitude to the Lord. Paul was concerned uh, about offending God, grieving the Holy Spirit by sinful behavior. And this is what grieves the Spirit if we are ungrateful, if we are inclined to be complaining about this, that, or the next thing. One uh, devotional commentator, some of you may be familiar with the name of Selwyn Hughes, Every Day with Jesus, it was he from whom I, first of all, heard this term, to have an attitude of gratitude. We talk about people in a derogatory way having an attitude. That guy's got an attitude. She's got an attitude. And that's usually a very negative statement to make about someone else. But let's, as Paul is exhorting here uh, to the Colossians, uh, it's very, very uh, sinful, very uh, bad witnessing to God for the Christian to be ungrateful. In uh, his letter to the Ephesians, uh, Paul is writing in the same vein as in Colossians uh, chapter 3, verse 4. Uh, I'll just go back to Ephesians uh, and chapter, chapter 5, uh, 
at verse 15, where we read these words. And very similar to what uh, Paul is writing to the Colossians. Uh, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and so on. And further on in that passage in in Ephesians 5, uh, it's very similar to what we have in the latter part of chapter 3 in Colossians, that uh, the Lord's people should should uh, admonish and address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father. And this gratitude should uh, uh, emanate in such a way as that they should be walking in the way that Paul, from verses uh, verses 5 and 6, is telling them, to conduct themselves, to walk in wisdom toward outsiders. And that wisdom is not worldly wisdom. It's wisdom from above, spoken of by James. Walk in him who is personified for us as wisdom from God, even Jesus. Walk in wisdom rooted in him toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. And here we have not just conduct, but speech. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Is it not so easy for us uh, to be sharp-tongued as Christians? And we need uh, to have that checked from time to time. And the only way it can be checked is by the influence of God's Spirit, taking of what is Christ's and applying that to us, to change us. Well, it's very interesting that this gratitude is brought so strongly before us in this. And what we are to do in the gratitude, it's specifically mentioned in the context of prayer here, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. As Paul writes to the Philippians, Uh, If there is any anxiety, be anxious for nothing, but make your requests known to God with thanksgiving, and then God's peace will follow. So we have to come to God with an attitude of gratitude in our prayers, first uh, first and foremost. Now, the second thing I want to, uh, the second theme I want to bring our attention to here is graft. I'm not going to say very much about that. Uh, Perhaps it's partly because I should know more about it than I actually do. And I'm sure we all feel uh, we fall into that category. But this graft is particularly relevant uh, in prayer itself. And that is highlighted for us in a couple of places as we go, even as you go into the final greetings that Paul is giving to his readers here. Notice uh, at the beginning again of verse 3, he says, continually, uh, sorry, continue steadfastly in prayer. Uh, Three short words summarize that. Keep at it. And if there was a mirror in front of me just now, I would be saying that loud and clear. 
and we all fall short. I know that. You know, there, there would be, and there is, uh, some teaching, even in our modern uh, evangelical scene, in, in the modern Christian scene, that uh, the Christian life is easy. The Christian life is it's great when you become a Christian. It's just a walk in the park. But the Christian life is not that. The Christian life, according to Scripture, is a happy time, but it's still a race to the finish, running the race that is set before us, the writer to the Hebrews says. The Christian life is a struggle. There is graft. The Christian life is a fight. Yes, the Christian life can be likened to a game, a competition. Now, the Commonwealth Games, I think, are just coming to an end. I don't know how many of you have been watching some of the sports in the Commonwealth Games, but it's quite amazing what can be achieved uh, in, shall we say, the, the final events, the final rounds, the final competition for a particular discipline. But behind the scenes and up until then, there is a huge amount of training and uh, whatever it is, whichever discipline they are involved in, there is a repetitive doing of this uh, aspect of their sport or whatever it is until they reach the best they can do. We, you've heard some of the young folks here know what PBs are when it comes to athletics. I know nothing whatsoever about that, I'm afraid. Personal best. Well, that is what the Lord is asking of each and every one of you and of me as well. Your best. He is not asking. He is not uh, coming to you to ask you to do what is not possible for you to do. But... He says to each and every one of us that his grace is sufficient for us. Paul makes no apologies for saying to us that being a Christian is tough in this sinful world. But there is more joy than we could ever imagine at the end of the race or whatever it is. And it has to be said, no matter the cost, and some of us have paid more, suffered more, even within these four walls than others. And we know that some have suffered even to the point of death for the Lord in the church's history. But it is worth it. That's the message that has to go out to everyone who think they're not good enough and who think there is far too much to be sacrificed when you come to the Lord. Well, that's not the case at all. Paul speaks of earnest continuity in prayer. And there is another example given to us in these verses of an individual who sends his greetings with Paul and with Timothy to the church in, Col uh, in Colossae. And that person and I just want to focus on him just for a few minutes. We find him in verse 12. It's a man called Epaphras. And look what it says about Epaphras. Epaphras 
who is one of you. Yes, he was one of themselves. He was a Colossian who was with Paul in prison, uh, uh, as Paul was imprisoned in Rome, but he was there in the same place as Paul was at the time of writing of this letter. And it's very interesting that uh, this man, Epaphras, he played a really key part according to uh, scripture and historical documents uh, that he was indeed the church minister, if you like, the evangelist who spread the gospel in the city of Colossae and who planted the church of believers there. Uh, in verse uh, 7 of chapter 2, you find these words. Uh, reading at verse 6, uh, the gospel, uh, sp Paul speaking of the gospel, the gospel which has come to you as indeed to the whole world. It is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ, a servant of Christ, presumably set apart for the, the, the duty, the, the work of proclaiming the word of Christ. And Paul says in verse 8 there, and has made known to you your love, and has made known rather to us your love in the Spirit. Epaphras comes and goes, and uh, it's, it's uh, interesting that we find Paul commending this man, always struggling. We have it in the ESV. The word that's used in some other versions is wrestling, this idea of, of wrestling. It's, it's not uh, uh, in the sense of, well, I must go and pray today, and I don't find it very easy to actually set time for myself to pray. But it's in the prayer that Epaphras is spoken of as struggling. He is fighting a spiritual war on his knees, or however, uh, wh whichever a, a way he, he did that. And we believe he was on the knees of his heart at the very least. Paul speaks of this man in a very, very uh, commendable way. If there is spir spiritual opposition, and there was for Paul in prison and for those who were attending to him while he was there. And that is why we, we see Epaphras. Uh, he's one of them. He's a Colossian. He's spoken of very commendably as a servant of Christ Jesus. And he is, as well as sending his greeting, he's thinking of them and he's remembering them in his prayers, struggling on your behalf in his prayers. And we even find it specified for us what Epaphras is praying for on behalf of the Colossians. Look at what, he, what it says here. Struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. In a sense, he's asking for uh, growth to be in their lives, and that that growth may make them more like the Lord Jesus Christ and 
more understanding of what the purpose of God for them in the church at Colossae is. What is this church doing here, you might ask, in Colossae? And this is what Epaphras is praying for. And in verse 13, Paul speaks of them in these words, For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Now, these three towns, Colossae, Laodicea, and Hierapolis, those of you who have Bible maps at the other end of your Bibles, uh, you can find it online quite easily. But these three towns were very much neighboring towns. Perhaps, uh, just to give you a rough idea, the distance between here and St. Andrews perhaps would have been the distance between these th- uh, three towns. They were in a sort of triangle. Uh, sad to say, there is nothing left of Colossae in, 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 uh, today. And of course, Laodicea uh, comes to our attention in John's revelation uh, as one of the churches in Asia. So this is the kind of place where uh, they were situated. Well, it goes without doubt that graft uh, ensues uh, the Christian life. It follows. It's uh, it's a fight uh, where God has begun the good work. He will bring it on, but we have to work with him in obedience, in acknowledgement of the faith that we have. And this graft is something that is spoken of very often in the New Testament letters of Paul and of Peter as well. Paul is asking, isn't it interesting that Paul is asking uh, the Colossians uh, to do for him what he and his companions are doing for them? At the same time, he says in verse 3, Pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the world to declare the mystery of Christ. Pray this specific, specifically that the, the word of God might be, might be spread. And uh, it's prefaced at, in verse 2 by this, continue steadfastly in prayer. And I think uh, uh, I need to say this uh, for myself, uh, that sometimes we undervalue the power that God has given to us. This means of grace. Uh, Very often a story is told of uh, an old man who who lived in a house and uh, he had a a very neat path leading to a corner of his garden. And the path was very much worn down. And in the corner of the garden from the house to that corner, The reason why it was worn down is because that's where he went to spend time with the Lord in prayer. And one of his neighbors noticed over time that the path wasn't as well worn. And the neighbor knocked on his door and asked him, "Uh, why why is the path overgrown? Have you not been out uh, in that little uh, gazebo or whatever it was? in the corner of your garden. And he he acknowledged that, no, my prayer life has diminished and I am not walking the path that I once walked before, but I want to to resume and do that. Perhaps that speaks of you or of me, even today, that this path 
is not trodden on as much as it ought to be. Well, that's gratitude, graft, much more could be said on these subjects. And I want to finish off just by saying one or two things about this greeting. Most of chapter 4 is taken up with final greetings from the Apostle Paul, and I'm going to finish with just a couple of thoughts on that. There are various people mentioned, some characteristics are spoken about them, but we don't know very much about them at all. But what this idea of greeting uh, from Paul's companions, now it's, it's not so much a greeting to, although it is collectively to the Colossians, it's a greeting from individuals. And when you come to the end of this greeting section, it's, it's actually only two people who are addressed in terms of greetings to. Uh, in verse 18, uh, uh, sorry, uh, in verse uh, 15, give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea, and then specifically to Nympha and the church in her house, and when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. See that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And then there's another individual mentioned. Say to Archippus, see that the ministry that you have received from the Lord, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received from the Lord. Various names. Tychicus. I'm always wondering how the correct name, the way to pronounce that is. Uh, Tychicus and Onesimus are the couriers. They're just the bearers of the news from Paul and his companions. And then you come to a list of people like Aristarchus, Mark. We know about Mark, how it's interesting how he's mentioned here uh, in the context of verse 10 of the letter, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Once upon a time, there was a, a Barney between Paul and Barnabas over this very man. But in this letter, in this context, he speaks of him fairly favorably, speaking of him as one of his companions not saying very much about him in terms of his character, but identifying his connection with Barnabas. And then, as we saw, there's Epaphras. And then there's another somebody who didn't get very good, uh, a very good report, uh, as we find from Paul's letter to Timothy. In verse 14, we read, uh, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Now, this is a man, Demas, who was sending a greeting at this time. But further on in time, and it was a couple of years or so later, this man, Demas, whose greetings were being sent to the church in Colossae, fell by the wayside. We read of him in Paul's writing uh, to Timothy that he loved the things of the world more than the things of the gospel. And although there are very positive things coming out of this greetings section, there are one or two warnings for us to be careful, just to take care. But on the whole, 
Paul ends his letter to the Colossians on a positive note. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand, and he asks the Colossians to remember him in his sufferings. Grace be with you. What a lovely way to, to, to end a letter to anybody. And the letter ends pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of grace. It's almost, it's a short benediction. Grace be with you. May God bless to us these meditations. A word of prayer. Lord, we give thanks for all that you showed to us of your grace and your mercy. We pray that you would enable us by your Spirit to be thankful, to be diligent, not to be slothful, not to be complaining. We pray also, Lord, that you would enable us to greet one another favorably, positively. So often, Lord, we don't know each other well enough. Help us to do that. Draw us closer together as a fellowship of your people here, just as Paul was praying for the Colossian believers. Hear us, we pray in your name. Amen. Well, we're going to conclude our service with our final uh, song of praise, which will come up on the screen in a couple of minutes. How excellent a thing it is, how pleasant and how good. This is Psalm 133 which speaks very clearly of the unity of God's people. So let's stand and sing to God's praise these words. And please remain standing for the benediction after.